thanks to our 2022 listeners in more than 160 countries. Please help us reach more worldwide listeners next year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thank you for supporting the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. We praise you, Jesus, at your birth. Clothed in flesh, you came to earth. The virgin bears a sinless boy, and all the A Christmas hymn penned by Martin Luther, We Praise You, Jesus, at Your Birth. The church prepares to celebrate Christ's birth, and this year it falls on a Sunday. That means that the church will gather there not only to be celebrating Christ's birth, but of course also to celebrate his resurrection as well. And we'll hear from the Old Testament reading about the feet of one who brings good news. Well, our Savior has arrived with real human feet born of the Virgin Mary. Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us to look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Looking forward to Christmas Day. Sean is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back, Todd. There's kind of a twofold question here at first. One is occasioned by the fact that many evangelical churches, because Christmas falls on a Sunday this year, are just not going to have services at all. They say, that's a day for the family. We don't want to impinge upon that. Or someone says, you know, I went to the kids' Christmas Eve program last night. I don't need to be back in church on Sunday morning. I suppose God doesn't command any day. That's kind of our point is uh, we're free in the New Testament. But we're free in the New Testament to worship God all the time, to rest in him constantly. The Sabbath rest for which we await has arrived in Christ Jesus. And so this is why we gather frequently as a church and why we have set aside in our freedom days to worship him, to focus on different scriptures and different stories and accounts and events in the life of Christ Jesus. And this is kind of one of the big ones. It's why, even though a lot of uh, evangelical churches that are not liturgical, that don't observe a church year or use a lectionary, suddenly do around December 25th. And I think it would be very wise for us to consider keeping December 25th as a day that we worship. First of all, we know that those who don't believe anything about Christ Jesus have really kind of assaulted this day. They've claimed it as a pagan day that doesn't belong to us in some ways, or they've used it as a way to amplify some of their understandings of how Christ is not really divine, or this wasn't really original to the scriptures. They were just ripping off pagan gods and goddesses and emperors. But actually, we have a we have a strong case to make that, no, we chose this date because it's nine months after the Annunciation that we celebrate, uh, and that this has always been the day, uh, as long as there has been a Christmas, uh, if it weren't for this and January 6th, that Christians worship and remember the incarnation and birth of Christ Jesus. So since this is the day, I think it's worth observing it on the day. And if you were fortunate enough to have a service the night before, 
this is one of those big moments and events in the life of Christ that we remember together as a church, that it really is worth taking more than just one little hour out of our time to consider. Let's deal with some definitions here, if we could, at first. And you you kind of touched into the history, again, going back to very ancient times when the Annunciation was observed on the 25th of March. Do your math. You get a birth on December 25th at nine months there. But where does this term Christmas actually come from? Yeah, I suppose if you want to be super correct, you call it the Nativity of Our Lord or the Feast of the Nativity of Our Lord. Although that already needs some explanation, right? Nativity coming from the Latin to mean birth or birthday. But Christmas, the common use word that we use, also comes from Christian terms. This is the Mass of Christ. There used to be a lot more of these. There was Candlemas, which is Groundhog Day now, the purification of our Lord, a purification of Mary and presentation of Christ. And they used to bless candles on that day. So it got the name Candle Mass. Likewise, for saints, there's Andrew Mass for St. Andrew's Day. There's Michael Mass for St. Michael and all angels. And not many of those get used anymore. But Christmas, for whatever reason, has uh, stuck in our memories And at this point, it's still the word we use. And notice, that implies that the central part of our observation of the birth of Christ Jesus is to attend the divine service, to go to the service that has the Lord's Supper offered, which at most churches is certainly on Christmas Day. So you mentioned the Nativity of Our Lord. We had talked about Christmas Eve services. Should we just do as we have done with the Feast of Easter and say, the night before Christmas, regardless of when it is, is the vigil of Christmas. That's definitely what it means. Whenever we have an Eve, even like All Hallows Eve that becomes Halloween and kind of popular culture, that was a vigil service. A vigil means anticipation. It literally means to watch, observing something beforehand and to keep a watch maybe all night long so that, you know, you're looking out for something. This was probably done much more often in the early church when people were living much more of a common life together. But the feasts uh, still prevail to this day, and the observation the church here still prevails too, that some days still have more to celebrate than you can get into just one day. So if you go back into the church's history, a lot of the feast days, even for saints, as well as these big days in the big events in Christ's life, have vigils. They have their own propers. They have their own readings and sermons and services for the night before. And then also they even sometimes had octaves, which is eight days after it, there'd be another service, kind of the afterglow, recognizing that this feast lasted for a whole week Today, a lot of that cycle of feast and fast have uh, failed from our kind of traditional living. Nevertheless, the observations are still there. And Christmas Eve, the vigil of the Nativity of our Lord, is still one that's very much in the minds and in the traditions of our uh, culture in America. And so it's uh, fine to know where that comes from. So this would strictly be talking about a two-day service, the vigil the night before, and then the celebration of the birth itself the night afterwards. How would one of those, just since we're on it, how would one of those vigils actually look? Laying aside the kind of the what's become tradition, which is the children's pageant or matinee. 
Sure. So strictly speaking, in, in the liturgy, a vigil actually is when you have a divine service with communion the day before an event where all the readings and the and the focus of it and probably the colors too are cued toward the coming day. So you're anticipating the event. Then you also observe it with the divine service on the day. But it's similar to the way that almost every day works in the church year. If you have kind of the offices, so matins and vespers for us as Lutherans, together with the divine service going on. And in a way, we return back to Genesis and the Hebrew way of reckoning time that still exists in the church, that really everything starts the night before because evening and morning is a day, according to Genesis, the church still kind of thinks that way. That's why even though it's the night before, it's before midnight maybe, and the midnight mass usually starts before midnight, we still consider that to be a Christmas service. Likewise, same thing on Easter. And if you're observing matins and vespers regularly at a church, you often observe that the Old Testament reading is associated with vespers. And then the New Testament reading is associated with the next day for matins. That's all kind of hearkening back to this Hebrew reckoning of time where it starts the night before. That, by the way, will really help everybody who's confused about how you get three days from Holy Thursday to Easter Vigil or how you get three days of Christ in the tomb. You got to remember that sundown the night before is the start of the day by the Hebrew counting. Speak a little bit about the season of Christmas, which the world determinedly forgets and certainly does not celebrate. Yeah, as with things that get captured by the popular mind, they go through all sorts of transformations, and yet some of the old origins always kind of hang in there, kind of like a like a joke that always has a, a little inkling of the truth in it still that kind of stings. So, yeah, we don't know much about the season of Christmas in the liturgical year from the season of Christmas that we see going on now, which this year started even before Halloween. They had a Halloween decoration section up in the hardware store and a Christmas section up. That's all the way back in October. And of course, as soon as Christmas Day is over, you throw your tree into the street and toss it away. Or at least that's the way it works commonly in America. But the liturgical season that the church observes of Christmas begins with Christmas. Technically, it begins the night before with this vigil anticipating the day. And it lasts for, and you know a song to go with this, 12 days. The 12 days of Christmas aren't usually associated with birds in the church as much, although supposedly there are some nice Christian kind of symbols connected with those. But it counts 12 days up until that next vigil, which is of the epiphany of our Lord. And epiphany, uh, as I mentioned kind of in the intro, is a very special day in the church. In some ways, epiphany was kind of a Christmas observation earlier even than December 25th. But it kind of remains here in our Western calendars, just tying that whole season together so that it's the final bookend on the first one, which is Christmas itself. And there's a lot that goes on in between, actually, in those 13 days, if you want to count it like that. Immediately after Christmas, we get three big feast days of biblical saints. So we have Stephen, the first martyr, the first person who's killed after Christ's death and resurrection. We see that in the book of Acts. Then we have St. John, who was not killed. In fact, he was uh, exiled, but uh, he lived his whole life as an apostle and an evangelist. And then we have the, the Feast of the Holy Innocents, 
which is kind of tying us back into the chronological time a little bit of Christmas and the events of Christ's birth, because this is the day where we hear about the babies that were murdered by Herod in Matthew's gospel there to try and get rid of Jesus. And of course, Jesus has to flee to Egypt. Also in between uh, the season of Christmas, we have eight days. The octave of Christmas is January 1st, which in the church is the circumcision of Jesus. And that's quite a literal connection because eight days after a child was born, that's when they would be circumcised. So we hear the shortest gospel of the whole year, just one little verse about how Jesus was circumcised and given his name. And the night before, often we have another vigil, and that's New Year's Eve or a vigil of the circumcision. During that period, depending on how the weeks fall, you have the possibility of two Sunday services even. So there's a little uh, first Sunday after Christmas and a first Sunday after New Year's, or some call it the second Sunday after Christmas, which uh, that one you rarely ever get. Talk about, before we get into these propers, the celebration of Christmas and its season in the Lutheran tradition. I think this is important to realize the Lutheran tradition is not very consistent on this. And what we have, for example, in Lutheran service book is hearkening back to something older, something from the Middle Ages, uh, something that did continue in many places in the Lutheran church, but not universally. In fact, what was quite common in the Lutheran church was to celebrate Christmas Day exclusively or to kind of drag Christmas Day out for three days, starting on Christmas Day. I think this is very interesting because, as we mentioned in the beginning, we're very influenced by evangelicals and probably Roman Catholics in America, too, so that Christmas Eve has become the big deal. And if you go to any church service, it's probably that one. And that's very strange since in in the early days of the Reformation and on for a couple centuries, it really was Christmas Day that was the big deal for us. In fact, they kind of mushed it together. They had the Puarnatus Es, which is the Christmas Day intro, together with Titus 2 and Luke 2, which is usually for Christmas Eve, uh, and sometimes with a prophecy from Isaiah as well. And then they would either go through St. Stephen Day and St. John Day to have a three-day holiday, or in some cases, they would kind of play out that Luke 2 reading over a couple days. In any case, very interesting to see that if you uh, are only doing one Christmas service, let's put it that way, Christmas Day is kind of the traditional one for Lutherans, and you kind of roll Luke 2 and everything together into that one day. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, Christmas Day. According to the three-year lectionary, we'll go over the propers for the coming Sunday next. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. What does anthropology or the science of mankind, the study of mankind, have to do with Christmas? 
Well, it has everything to do with Christmas. As the December issue of The Lutheran Witness points out, to understand what man is and what it means to be man, we don't look to other men, but to Jesus Christ, the man. To subscribe to The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. It's the days before Christmas and the list is so long of whom to buy what for, so I'll help you along. Ad Crucem has gifts for all budgets and tastes. Our service is quick for shoppers in haste. Pop over to the website adcrucem.com for gifts focused on Christ where it's always belonged. Reminders of his work for saints in this world and his promises eternal yet to be fulfilled. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. The church is a family. St. Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. At Redeemer Lutheran Church, we rejoice to be a part of that household of faith, gathered around the gifts of Christ in word and sacrament. If you're in the Lawrence, Kansas area, it would be our pleasure to have you join our family. We also have the privilege of serving the University of Kansas. If you have a son or daughter who attends KU or one of the other area universities, we would love for them to join us and to make Redeemer their home away from home. For more information about our church, please visit Redeemer-Lawrence.org. Stanza two of the hymn, We Praise You, Jesus, at Your Birth. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, Christmas Day, with Pastor Sean Denzer. He is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you're a fan of Lutheran liturgy, hymnody, and piety, be sure to check out LCMS Worship's free resources at lcms.org slash worship, lcms.org slash worship. Sean, how would you describe an overview of Sunday's propers? Well, what we have today is the same, whether it's year A or year B or year C of LSB's three-year lectionary. And in fact, what we have today really is the historic, at least by my counting, the historic consensus of what the parts of the service are for Christmas Day. So LSB and LW, as well as modern Roman Catholics, have recovered kind of what the four services of Christmas were. You had the Easter vigil, you had a midnight service, you had an early dawn service, and then you had the day service. This is that fourth one, the day service, which is characterized by, I'll say, kind of uh, four big propers. One is the intro at puer natus est that we'll talk about, a reading from Isaiah, which actually is an Old Testament that has some history and was being read even at the time of the Reformation before we restored Old Testament readings in the 20th century. That's Isaiah 52, Hebrews 1, the beginning, and John chapter 1. So let's discuss a few themes that hold this Sunday together very nicely. 
So we'll start with the gospel, as we often do, and look for some guidance. And this is a very logical choice. Remember, last night, Christmas Eve, we got to hear Luke 2, which is certainly the fullest. It makes the best Christmas pageant. Maybe you got to see one of those two. But now we get to hear John's glorious prologue to his gospel, which harkens back to Genesis in its words and culminates in verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. So not only do we have the the simple confession of the incarnation, that the word, the eternal son of God has become flesh, but also in John's gospel, we see there's a reason and a purpose and a benefit to this. It is for us. It's for our salvation. It's to disclose and reveal to us his grace. And it's in fact, to make us children of God as well. So what are some of the particular things? Connecting all these gospels is uh, a really great phrase that comes out of the antiphon for the Magnificat in Vespers, the night before and the day of, which is hodie aparuit salvator. Today, our Savior has appeared. This is a quote borrowed from Titus, which is one of the readings we would have heard either this morning or last night, perhaps. Uh, But it really does capture what's going through all of the readings and the propers for even Christmas Day. Actually, I think this is pretty helpful. We live in a time where as the church, we are hard pressed by the issue of abortion and the need to clarify that the beginning of life is not birth but it's actually conception. So yes, all of us, when we start counting at year zero, actually are nine months old. Sometimes that's used against us as if we're inconsistent. I think it's natural to count people's life among us from when we see them, when they literally appear out of the womb, and uh, now we can begin to get to know them. That doesn't mean that we deny that they were a living person for nine months prior to that, even when we didn't know them. In fact, maybe even when we didn't see them or or realize that they had come already. So it is with Christ as well. This theme helps to temper maybe our use of Christmas as a feast of the incarnation. That is not to say that Christ became incarnate when he was born or that he wasn't present in the womb of Mary. We've sung a lot about that with Savior of the Nations Come for the last four weeks. But we get to see here that in this Sunday, we're going to have a lot of texts that emphasize Christ is not a new creation. He is not uh, a creation at all of the Father, but he is the eternal Son of God, the Word that was God and was with God already at the beginning, that had his hand in creation together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and yet now he has taken up human flesh. Now that eternal Word has become flesh and dwelt among us. So all of that is really captured by the fact this is the appearing of Christ our Savior. As a result, we're going to get to know his name. We'll see that a couple places throughout our readings. And again, the why is never far from this. For us men and for our salvation, our Lord came down, was incarnate. And uh, this is true in the other services as well. The first proper is the intro. It was drawn from Isaiah 9, naturally. And Psalm 98, how are those two brought together? 
forgive me, I just have to sing it. And if, if your congregation is able to, uh, has a choir, this is a perfect opportunity to delve into the traditional chant of the church, which was retained in the Lutheran church. And this is one of the most famous ones. It also is very beautiful. It goes like this. Puer natus es nobis, et filius datus es nobis. And you could sing it in English too, but it would say, to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This antiphon is from Isaiah chapter 9, also a reading over this Christmas evening, but it's a fantastic announcement really reprising what the angels said to the shepherds, right? That this child is born for you, for us. It really captures the whole gospel of Christ's incarnation that he has given to us, that he's come to be our savior, and that all of these names are disclosed to us so that we may know him, so that the shepherds may know him, so that the whole world may know that this is the day of the Lord's visitation. So if you can find some music for that, it's all in the public domain now, and it's a beautiful chant to consider. Historically, the, the list of names was truncated just to say he's the wonderful counselor of angels. That's fine, and angels are probably thought of most here at Christmas time, since they had their big time yesterday, and maybe even some kids were dressed up as them. But I kind of like the fact that our, at least in year A, in the three-year lectionary, we get to have the whole list of names from Isaiah, which is beautiful, that he is wonderful, that he is a counselor, a comforter. He's the advocate that we have with the Father. And he's the mighty God, same one as the Old Testament, same O Adonai that we sang about for the O Antiphons a couple of days ago. The everlasting Father, this is recognizing that he is together with the Father. The whole Trinity is at work at Christmas, and that Christ in particular is the Prince of peace. He's the true peace of Jerusalem, and he's now come for us. Together with that, then we have the psalm. We used to just hear the first verse, but of course, the introits have been expanded. Perhaps they were that way in the beginning so that we can get a little more. But the understanding is that the Christians will know this psalm, and you'll be thinking of the rest of it, even from the beginning. And it says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for us. Even if we just had that, we really would have the big content of this great Psalm 98, which I suppose is a matter that needs some explanation. Sometimes this phrase, sing unto the Lord a new song, has been used as a reason to discard old music. So I even said you could go back and sing some chant music for Christmas Day. Some people would say, well, that's an old song. That's not new. That's not what this phrase new song means at all. It means a song of the New Testament. In fact, Christ Jesus is the one that makes it new, new perpetually, continually, always fresh, and doing something that you will not find from what is old, namely sin, death, humanity. What we produce is old and never 
continues forever. But what Christ does, he, behold, he does all things new and he does all things well. And we see that in the psalm, right? The right arm that we heard of a couple weeks ago, he's mentioned again. That right arm from Psalm 80 is here in Psalm 98. That's Jesus Christ. And notice, salvation has come. If we were to go on in the expanded intro, it said, the Lord has made known his salvation. As we heard last Sunday and as we heard the night before at the vigil service from Matthew chapter 1, he is called Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. Therefore, just as we look in the Psalms and we see anointed one and we think of Christ, we also ought to see the word salvation and think of Jesus, that he was being foretold and now the one who was foretold in the Old Testament has appeared. And I love how it says, not just for his own people, not just for Israel, but he's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations, in the sight of the Gentiles. Already we're pointing ahead to the 13th day of Christmas, Epiphany. The collect should sound familiar to us. Yeah, almighty God, grant that the birth of your only begotten Son in the flesh may set us free from the bondage of sin. And I love this. This is an old collect. It's probably from the Galatian Sacramentary, 8th century. So it's not something that Lutherans added to the worship service. This has been Christmas Day for a long time. And what does it say? The whole point of his birth is to set us free from the bondage of sin. Think of John 8, right? Whoever sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. That's exactly what this is saying. And it's really picking up of what we asked for on Advent 1. The threatening perils of our sins are here. Save us from them, Lord. We repeated it again on Advent 4. Now we know in the light of his birth, we are asking for it yet again. We'll continue to ask it until at last he delivers us at the last day from all evils. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, Christmas Day, with Pastor Sean Denzer. According to the three-year lectionary, we will get into the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 52 next. week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with the centurion's servant, the widow of Nain, John's question, none greater, and the sinful woman, part one. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040 or issuesetc.org. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com. 
For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Solid. Serious. Substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Fairborn, Ohio. Emmaus Lutheran, Redmond, Oregon. Grace Lutheran, Auburn, Michigan. Emmanuel Lutheran, Frankentrost, Michigan. Messiah Lutheran, Seattle, Washington. Peace Lutheran, Rapid City, South Dakota. Shepherd of Peace Lutheran, Maumel, Arkansas. St. Mark Lutheran, Waco, Texas. St. Michael Lutheran, Portage, Michigan. And Zion Lutheran, Columbus, Ohio. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We are looking forward to Christmas Day falling on a Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, we come to the Old Testament reading, Isaiah 52. How does it read? Yeah, I'd really love to have verse 6 as well, which goes like this. Thus says the Lord God, My people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold. It is I, or maybe we won't even say, behold, I am. And then it goes on with our portion of the text, beginning at verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice together, they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So this really does bring out the main theme that is in all of the songs of Christmas as well, that today our Savior has appeared. And uh, that verse 6, I think, is quite important. We shouldn't let that fall out because the Lord wants his name to be known in that day. And he says, behold, I am. Here I am. I've arrived. This is hearkening back to Deuteronomy 18 when Moses said, 
that a prophet like him would arise. And the key thing with that prophet is everybody is to listen to what he has to say, or you'll miss it all, right? So the Lord wants us to know his name. He wants us to know that he is the one who speaks. And he says, I am the the name that the Israelites shuddered to utter. Christ Jesus is the one who does this all over the Gospels, especially in John's Gospel, and here he is. Added to that, we have this message of the the feet of the one who brings good news over the hills. So this is kind of the fulfillment of John the Baptist preaching. And with Christ, it's not just a metaphor. He has feet, quite literally. I think that's beautiful. By extension, uh, we connect this to those who bring Christ Jesus to us, sometimes to the apostles and the prophets and pastors as well. What's the message? Say to Zion, say to the Israelites, say to his people who have been waiting for him, who've been praying Kyrie, and who have been saying, come Lord Jesus for these last four weeks, your God reigns. This is perfect and a fine fit, especially in year A, with Matthew's attention to the kingdom of the heavens and the reign that is present in Christ Jesus, our King. So the heralds, we've heard them both last night with the angels and the shepherds, but we also are to be heralds proclaiming his coming because his coming means salvation for us. And not for us only, but for those who will hear it as well. So we see that not only is it comfort for his people, he's redeemed Jerusalem, but already, as we heard on uh, second or third Sunday from St. Paul, The Gentiles are included in this message. So again, we're pointing toward Epiphany season. So what psalm is appointed for this high feast of Christ's birth? In Lutheran service books, lectionary for the three-year, we have Psalm 2 appointed, and that's a classic prophetic psalm of Christ Jesus. It starts out, why do the nations rage and set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed against his Christ, quite literally. And then we see Christ, you know, the Lord laughs in derision. Christ is here, kiss the son lest he be angry. So it's definitely about his kingship. In that way, it fits quite well. And verse six might be the verse that fits best. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. But in my opinion, I don't know if this psalm fits quite as well. It's a change from the Revised Common Lecture and the Roman Lecture, which had Psalm 98, probably because we didn't want to duplicate what was already in the intro. But uh, the the focus of Psalm 2 is definitely the Lord's judgment. There's a harshness to his arrival, which is quite different from the message of today. Our Savior has appeared that is everywhere else in the text. It does fit quite well, however, for St. Stephen's Day. And in fact, that's the gradual. The princes set themselves against the Lord and against his Christ. But I'll have to see you tomorrow for that. The epistle is from Hebrews 1. How does it read? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
For to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And I would urge you to consider going on to the extended option, which is uh, traditional in its precedent, but also grab some important material here. Verse 7, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you, you are the same, and your years will have no end. This reading is beautiful. It's the beginning of the book of Hebrews. It fits well with the beginning of the book of John, especially to say, again, this theme of Christ appearing. Yes, in the past, God spoke by his prophets in many various ways, but now we have one focus. It's Christ Jesus, the Son of God. And we get a, a summary of his entire work here, don't we? That he was appointed. This is the same word that created the world in the beginning. This is the one who is the exact imprint of God's nature, another confession, being of the one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, and that he made purification for sins, that's by his death, of course, and he has risen and sits at the right hand. And then part of uh, Hebrews' main argument is all of these sayings about the Messiah, about the Christ, are putting him above the angels, even though he came to be a little lower than the angels when he was incarnate, when he became not an angel, but a man, which is what we're observing and celebrating here at Christmas. So in particular, we see that he is distinct from the angels. Uh, again, a confession of the fact that Christ is not simply the greatest of God's creations, but that he is the eternal son of God, one with the father. He is God. And the author of the Hebrews makes that so clear when he says of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That's kind of his uh, proof text that's quite clear. Christ Jesus, this newborn baby, is the Lord of all. What is the Christmas gradual? The Christmas gradual that we have is pretty much our intro it repeated a couple times to us a child is born a son is given his name shall be wonderful counselor etc sing to the lord a new song for he's done marvelous things and it's a nice way to just have that Christmas intro it that central message and these great names of Christ Jesus follow us throughout the season and then the, as whatever our singing is uh, and however new or old, we tend to sing the old favorites on Christmas in its season, don't we? Let's just make sure that they're new songs by the biblical definition, that they are songs that focus on Christ Jesus, our Savior. The verse is what? Couldn't get much simpler than this. It's John 1.14 that we're about to get to, and it's the central core of today's gospel. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're looking forward to Christmas Sunday morning. 
According to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to Issues Etc. It's not too late to order a Christmas gift subscription to the Lutheran Witness magazine for Lutheran loved ones in your life. An annual print and digital subscription is less than $20. Learn more at cph.org witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective, the Lutheran Witness magazine, cph.org witness or 1-800-325-3040. We'll get into the gospel reading next. Thanks to our 2022 listeners in more than 160 countries. Please help us reach more worldwide listeners next year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. Thank you for supporting the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process Put the Word of God first and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. All theology is Christology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial a podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the confessional Lutheran dogmatic series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. The final stanza of the Christmas hymn, We Praise You, Jesus, at Your Birth. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, Christmas Day, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. So, Sean, take us into the gospel reading for this coming Sunday. I'll read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. What would you say about this? This is really just such a, a marvelous description of Christ's birth without going into the narrative, per se, of Christ's birth. Yeah, I think sometimes I've heard the comment that some people don't like this as much because, well, it's not as cuddly, I suppose, as sheep and shepherds and all of the things we heard last night from Luke chapter two. That is certainly true. It's, as with so much of John's writing, deep, uh, and it gives you the sense that even though the words are simple, the message is profound. And some people are maybe a little timid or, or frightened away by that profundity, that depth but I would encourage you to stick with it. These are the beautiful truths that we are confessing that are being sung in the simplest of Christless hymns that say, today our Savior has appeared, that say God is born a child, etc. All of that is what John is saying. And uh, I think it marvelously captures, uh, especially what we've heard on previous weeks, wherever John the Baptist has been mentioned, that's the John that a different John, the writer of the gospel mentions here. And this gospel really does have us, the hearer, right in the center of it as well, that the whole purpose of Christ, who is his focus, is to save us and to deliver us and to be received by us. And that's what the incarnation does. It's the Lord giving himself deeply to us, putting himself into our flesh so that even the sin that we have wrought that separates us from him would no longer be a barrier. And that is the message that the angels have brought too, that there is now peace and goodwill between God and men because of this child who's born. So we have a marvelous confession of the two natures of Christ and the unity of the Son and the Father, that not only was this word with God alongside him, a distinct person from the Father and the Spirit, but this word was God of the same substance of his father before all worlds were made. And who made these worlds? The Lord made the worlds, and that is the whole Trinity. Helpful to us, we say the creed so often that we sometimes think of God the Father Almighty as the maker of heaven and earth, as if that's a description only applying to the Father. And the scriptures are very clear, especially this one, that Christ himself also was at work in the creation of the world. He was already present there. Uh, you can find that also hinted at in Proverbs chapter 8, so that in no way is Christ a creation of God the Father 
and something less than the Father. No, he is eternal, always was, always continues. We see that life and light are brought together. And again, this is very much patterned in John's writing, inspired by the Spirit on Genesis, that just as the light that the Lord called into being through his marvelous voice shone on his world and revealed it to us as created, so in Christ Jesus, light is now shined, the light of the gospel. And even the darkness of sinful men and of the devil cannot overcome him. We take a little diversion to catch us up on something happening in our time, not just from the beginning of the world, and that is this man named John, who is a witness, who we'll hear about more in John's gospel, but who we've already started to hear about often in Advent, that he is not the light. This is the great confession of that third Sunday in Advent, at least traditionally, where John confesses and does not deny, but confesses that he is not the Christ. He is the penultimate. He is the last prophet. He is the one who bears witness to the true light that's coming into the world, the one who's greater than him, etc. In verse 10, this is a marvelously deep and tragic sentence. He, that is the word, that is the son of God, was in the world. Now, this could be talking about prior to his incarnation, or it could be foreshadowing, right? He was in the world when he walked among us, when he was born and conducted his ministry. He also was at work all throughout the Old Testament, right? Whenever we hear the Lord speaking, it is not only the Father, but also the Son. And yet, even though this world was made by him, it didn't know him. We see this in Paul as well, that we reject the creator and begin worshiping the creatures as gods instead, this natural idolatry that has become natural to us since the fall into sin. He came to his own people and his own did not receive him. We see a hint of that when he's rejected the inn, but much more we see it all throughout Holy Week. We see it when his own people have no time for him uh, and he is rejected outside Jerusalem. But to all who did receive him, what does that mean to receive him? To believe in his name, to hear his words, to trust in him. He gives the right to become children of God, not born in any of the usual ways, not born by some kind of demand of humanity, but born of God, with which we can hardly but think of holy baptism, where he claims us as his own children. And all that leading up to then the great Christmas phrase, which was our verse for the day, which really is the foundation of the creed that we confess, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and was made man. Sometimes we even kneel for that in honor of this incarnation, the fact that the eternal son of God, the word, has become man. He has taken on human flesh to dwell among us to reveal that glory of God that led the people of Israel in the Old Testament, that was present in the temple, that overshadowed them, just as Luke's gospel hints that the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary, and she will then come to have the Lord dwelling in her as she bears Christ for nine months. Well, we have seen the glory of God in Jesus Christ, that he is the only Son of the Father, and that he is full of grace and truth. His favor of God is shown in him, and the truth of God is shown in him. 
with just a, a minute here or so, what would you say about the hymns that we will be singing on the celebration of Christ's birth? Luther has two hymns that have become the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day hymns of the day. From heaven above to earth I come on Christmas Eve, which is a big, long, almost like a pageant, actually. He wanted his kids to sing it kind of back and forth to each other, and it's written that way in our hymnal, of telling Luke's gospel. But then also on Christmas Day, we usually sing his adaptation of a medieval hymn before it. We praise you, Jesus, at your birth. This hymn does something ironic, which is frequent in John's gospel. It's frequent in other places, and it's common among German poets. And that is to relish the contrasts. And so in many different ways, Luther explores this fact that the one who created the world has now entered into his own creation. He's now become a helpless little baby, even though he holds the universe in the power of his might. And to relish that marvelous juxtaposition that we have in the incarnation, this mystery that is beyond fathoming, and yet which we want to linger for at least 12 more days, fathoming together as the church, that this is the content of our song. This is the new song. Look, the Lord has taken up our flesh. He makes all things new in Christ Jesus. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you very much for your time. Merry Christmas. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll have Pastor Hans Feeney make the case for worshiping on Christmas Day. We'll get a review of the movie Avatar with Pastor Ted Geese, and we'll look forward to Christmas Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, IssuesETC.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.